Stories from Foster Care is brought to you by the Irish Foster Care Association in association with the Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth. Welcome to Stories from Foster Care. I'm Andrew Murphy. On today's episode, I had a really interesting discussion with Lisa Clancy, who has dedicated her time in foster care to children with disabilities. In theory, you know, oh yeah, we're going to take children with disabilities and we're going to do the very best we can. And, and then in practice, you're looking at these children, especially for us, not all children would have medical needs, but for us, she had quite a lot of medical needs. So I had a list, the length of my arm, of medications, of hospitals that we needed to attend, of appointments. So for me, going into this was basically a full-time job. It wasn't just, you know, something that I was doing out of passion. It was something that I had to throw myself into 150%. Lisa shared her family's rich journey in foster care, as well as some of the challenges. I hope you enjoy listening. Lisa, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us this morning. I'm really, really um, looking forward to speaking to you about this issue and about how you navigate the world of fostering and looking after children who have disabilities and be really great to be able to talk to you about your experience of that. Lisa, tell me, how did you get into fostering and, and how long are you at it and how did that come about in your life? Well, thank you, Andrew, for having me. You're very welcome. I'm delighted to be asked. So um, we were very young parents. We became parents quite young. I was just barely 17 and my husband was barely 20. So by the time we were 25, I was 25, we had three of our own children. So as time went on, we hit our early 30s. We wanted to look into doing some kind of, I suppose we like fostering. We've always liked the idea of fostering, but it's not always you can like the idea of something and not exactly do it when you get into it so at the time I wanted to go back to education and I wanted to become an ID nurse so that would have been that's intellectual disability Mm -hmm. so that would have been my first choice but as it happened we come across somebody who started to talk about fostering and a friend of mine also fosters so we decided maybe we'll go down this route maybe we look into it I was working in an area around disabilities at the time so I did see that there was a gap in the market Mm-hmm. for children with disabilities you know around fostering around caring even just around helping mm-hmm. um helping out parents to, to keep their children yeah. you know at home yeah. with a little bit of care and help so that was my first aim so we kind of just you know we inquired got into got talking to a social worker who was very interested in my theory, I suppose, for fostering mm-hmm. and why we wanted to foster. And yeah, we took it from there. And in terms of children with disabilities, how did that come about for you? Were you was that part of your assessment? What did you seek to do that in, in particular? How did that come about for you? Yeah, because of my background in mm-hmm. working with disabilities, um, it would have been something that would have been more my what I what we were interested in my husband was also interested in that area he Mm. works in that area also now at the moment and so we would have both decided going forward that that would have been the area we wanted to look into we didn't necessarily rule out mainstream children but Mm. we did feel that you know if we were going to go forward on with this we felt that disabilities would have been an area that we really 
wanted to go down okay. for. So you had a particular passion around the area. Absolutely. So fostering and and you had a passion about disability. supporting people with disabilities and Absolutely. children with disabilities. Yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. And you put your studies on hold. I did. I had done a year and a half to two years of social care at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was planning on after the third year to go into ID nursing. And because I've been out of education since I was 16, I had to kind of get a feel for it as well. But yeah, so when we had our first placement, which was very, very soon after we were um, passed. How um, soon, Lisa? Tell me about that. Well, within 24 hours, <laughs> they arrived with a cot in the back of the car. I really? always remember and said, we have a little girl who we had. Um, kind of said from day one, if you were passed, this little girl would go to okay. the, the Clancy's and that's yeah. two. So she arrived straight away within 24 hours. Well, actually, she didn't. I collected her. Wow. And I'll always remember driving down the road and stopping the car and looking at her in this little, tiny, little, frail little girl with all these disabilities, all these different medical things wrong with her and looking at her and going, Oh, please, God, help me to do the very best I can do for this yeah. little girl. Yeah. You know, I don't think I even looked at the foster side of it at that stage. Sure. I just looked at this little girl and her needs. Yeah. It must be incredibly daunting. I'm always struck by that, that especially for first time fosters, that first day, that first time, the first hour that you have with the child. And obviously your little one at the time was, was fragile, as you say. Very, very, just a really daunting and overwhelming experience yeah because in theory you know oh yeah we're going to take children with disabilities and we're going to do the very best we can and and then in practice you're looking at these children especially for us not all children would have medical needs but for us she had quite a lot of medical needs mm -hmm. so I had a list the length of my arm of medications of hospitals that we needed to attend of appointments so for me going into this was basically a full-time job it wasn't right. just you yeah. know something that I was doing out of passion mm -hmm. it was something that I had to throw myself into 150 percent sure. yeah yeah absolutely I can only imagine and and Lisa so that was your first uh, daughter foster daughter that came to you and then I think you have three foster children we have total. Mm -hmm. We have we have um our oldest uh, she came not long after the first Mm -hmm. She is now in aftercare with us. She's 19 nearly. Okay. She's finishing her leaving cert at the moment. And um, yeah, she came. She has her own. She fetal alcohol syndrome. Okay. So she would have her own issues. Um, and then 10 years later, we um, our middle daughter's little sister came to live with us. Okay. So and she's autistic and ADHD. So, okay. So you've got, without getting into too much detail about the girls themselves, yeah. you've got a child with fetal alcohol, you've got a, a child on the autistic spectrum, and you've got a child with... With a rare genetic disorder. A rare genetic disorder. So yeah. you've got a, a wide range of, mm -hmm. I'm sure, different um, <laughs> appointments and Absolutely. strategies and yeah. your responsibilities. Yeah. Like, could you tell me, um, like, obviously that's been a journey and you've built up your experience. What's a typical morning like in your house? Well, there is no typical. <laughs> it's we go with the flow, basically. But usually about seven o'clock, we have a support worker that will arrive. Mm -hmm. And she's great. I would be lost without her. She's from the HSE. Uh, she's she's attending our house now for the last four years. 
the girls love her. She will, her name's Mary. So Mary will attend, will come and she'll help us get the middle girl out of bed, dressed and um, washed the usual. Sometimes she won't get out of the bed. You know, mm-hmm. it'll be, no, no, no. She's also deaf, profoundly deaf, okay. uh, our middle child. So once she doesn't put her Baha on, she can't hear us. Sometimes okay. she refuses to put the Baha on. Okay. She doesn't want to hear us. Okay. You know, so they've great personalities, mm-hmm. you know, and then I would, would leave that would free me up time to go into her sister who has autism, mm-hmm. who is the princess of the house, who right. likes her breakfast brought to her in bed. So oh, you're running good. around, <laughs> you're running around for her, you're getting everything done for her. And it's just from there, you like the older girl has to be got up. She has her exams at the moment. So mm-hmm. she's on tender hooks. They all attend special needs schools. So you're talking about buses. It's like Central Station. The buses arrive in our house. One goes, my husband also drives a bus. So it's one after the other. Mm-hmm. They come back and forth. And then when they're gone to school, I'm like every other household. It's the cleaning, the washing. So, and then it's chasing up appointments and chasing yeah. up everything else that has to go with it. Yeah. A busy, busy start of the day. Absolutely. Um, 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> And and Lisa, just go back a little bit on that, I suppose. Look, you've got a few, you said you've a few supports there. You've got the special school and the yeah. different diagnosis. What was that? Was there struggles? Was there difficulties trying to establish that? I mean. Well, I'd like everything with disabilities. Nothing is ever straightforward mm. and nothing is ever handed to you. You, you have to fight for everything. And okay. it doesn't matter whether the child is in foster care or not. You know, we are seen essentially as a family with a child or children with disabilities and everything has to be fought for, you know, the support work didn't kick in. Someone coming into my home till my middle girl was 16 or six, which is only the last 10 years we're getting that. Um, Mm -hmm. And her first few years would have been her hardest few years, you know, then with the child with little girl with autism, the same with herself. We were trying to get her diagnosed for years we were being constantly told by social workers, no, it's trauma, it's trauma. She hasn't got anything else wrong her, it's trauma. Okay. And it wasn't. Like, use your mommy instincts. You know, mm-hmm. mommy instincts always tell us there's something wrong. Right. And it doesn't matter whether they're our children or somebody else's children, you always know when you're caring for a sure. child. Yeah. You know? And how long so, did that part go, Lisa, for you in terms of trying to get that right between the, the debate maybe between the trauma and the, the or other difficulties that were going on for her? Well, years, you know, um, from day one, we had always said because her sister has so much disabilities that obviously there was going to be something. But because she had none of the physical disabilities that her sister had, they were, you know, more or less saying, well, it's probably trauma. But this little girl came straight into care. And I know they say they can also have trauma from the womb and Mm -hmm. things like that. But we just knew there was something else wrong. She would sit on the floor, bang her head scream all day and all night you know it was like my own children had a lot to put up with at the beginning sure sure you know um they were great but i mean it's not easy for children in a house where another child is screaming banging their head off the floor two three four o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. you know and then mommy is bringing social worker and saying we need to get her assessed and social worker saying oh no it's only trauma it's trauma you know we'd sorted out it's trauma um, and what, what changed that, do you think, Lisa? What was what was the shift in that thinking? 
me <laughs> just constantly banging on about it and then I went into when they went to preschool she went to preschool okay I managed to get her into a special needs preschool first we got her into an ordinary preschool and with the help of that preschool teacher we kind of said together okay. look at there's something a little bit more going on with this little girl yeah then yeah. you know then meets the eye it's not just yeah. you know trauma and I'm not putting trauma down in any way let me tell you that's hard enough mm -hmm. but to then to have autism on top of that mm -hmm. you know so we yeah. ended up being referred and it took a good two years before she was assessed okay okay and did the diagnosis then did that help in terms of then being able to put a plan in place for her yeah. and your, your family well and we were able to get our supports that we needed. We were able to I mean, she would have a bowel situation where a lot of autistic kids have, and she would have outgrown, say, pull-ups from the from supermarkets. So we were able to get from the HSC, yeah. you know, supplies. We were also able to um get her into a school that mm -hmm. suited her needs. Yeah. Also, um, we were able to, you know, see a pediatrician, discuss maybe her sleeping issues. You know, it no longer just felt like, you know, the child is acting up or the child, you know, this is a situation. She's yeah. just not sleeping because it's just her age yeah. or yeah. we do know that we had it in writing. There's something more going on with this child. And it's so important to have that diagnosis. And Lisa, for you and your husband in terms of feeling heard, I suppose important yeah, for you absolutely mm -hmm. like it can become very frustrating when you feel when you have one child with disabilities it can also often and then you have the second and then when you have a third it can also be looked on oh she's seeing disabilities everywhere she's looking now you know that kind of way yeah. so you have to be really careful you know, that you're not labeling a child that doesn't need to be labeled, basically. Absolutely. It is definitely, it's a, a very, um, it's a very sensitive area, isn't it, for lots mm -hmm. of families in Absolutely. foster care where they're trying to grapple with that diagnosis versus trauma and just supporting children as, as, as their previous experience has yeah. unfortunately given them a, a hard start in life. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your own children there earlier on, Lisa, mm -hmm. in, in relation to, you know, it was difficult at, at times for them. How, as a family, I mean, and you're very much a family. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little about that and about the, the relationships and the, the goings on between all of them? Well, you know, it's my children were always open to fostering from the day we mentioned it. Mm -hmm. I suppose we were one of those houses where I always brought children to school in my car. I always brought, you know, kids on the street, always found their home in my home. We always had people staying over. It, so our house was always a very, one of those houses where everybody said, oh, we'd stay in, you know, my daughter's name is Megan. We'd stay in Megan's house, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So when we broached the subject over fostering, we had an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old and a 16-year-old who was okay. our oldest son. And, um, they were very much open to it. They were like, yeah, mommy, great. And when we spoke about disabilities, they were absolutely open to it. They were like, yeah, you know, this is so different. Yeah, definitely. Now, when you say disabilities, people automatically think you're going to get maybe a child with Down syndrome or something mm -hmm. like that. And they're going to come into your home and it's going to be great and whatever. So I had to kind of say to them, you know, we could be dealing with a lot more than that. We could be yeah. dealing with, you know, we could be dealing with so short lifespan. We could be dealing with... Yeah medical chronic medical 
histories. Mm -hmm. So they did ask me and I remember always saying to them, I'll be very open with you and I'll always tell you yeah. things and there'll be no hiding anything. So yeah. my 16 year old did say to me, look at mom, please don't hide anything from us. Please chat to us, sit around the table, say it to us, you know, this is happening. This is not happening. If you're upset, don't say, oh, no, it's OK. It's OK. Yeah. Please tell us what's going on. So I suppose from day one, we had an open door policy about everything that was going on. You know, age appropriate. Obviously, yeah. the younger children couldn't be told things about yeah. certain areas, but it was age appropriate as they got older. So yeah. as they got older, you know, our children have very much looked on our foster children as their siblings. Yeah. And we had my son got married before Christmas there last year and they were both bridesmaids. Lovely. The girls were all bridesmaids. And uh, my daughter had my first grandson there two years ago. And the middle girl who has all the disabilities, she's the godmother of mm. him, you know. So it's yeah. very much they are their siblings. And yeah. they have said if there's ever issues that we are not able to care for them, they would like to be broached about stepping in as well. <laughs> It's something I hear about quite often as is foster in foster families is that is the the children who foster and how they're so willing to come forward and to yeah. be that second supporter looking into the future. And they've naturally said that already themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the moment, my children are now 24, 25 and 33. So they are have their own lives. They have their own partners, but their own partners are made very aware of, mm -hmm. you know, our own our our foster children from day one. So when they arrive into our house, it's a big shock for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've often seen okay. their faces. They're like, because <gasps> the okay. girls are up in their faces and they're like, hello, hello, my name is, right. you know, and, you know, and as my son said about his poor wife, when she met them first, she didn't know where to put her face. They were okay. sitting up at the table. They were bringing home a Chinese and they were going into the kitchen and they were having a romantic night. And next thing they'd look around and here's the one sitting up <laughs> at the counter waiting for her bit of Chinese with them, you know, and that's just the way it is. And that's the that's the that's the normality in your house. That's, it. that's normal. But they really are the unsung heroes, I think, a lot yeah. of the, the birth children quite often. Would you have a sense of them being overlooked in the system at all? In that, absolutely. And how we... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was, say, over Easter, for instance, there was um, an example. They were giving out Easter eggs and giving out chocolates to the foster parents, giving out Easter eggs to the foster children. This is Tusla. Mm -hmm. And the birth children weren't included in that. Okay. okay. You know, and I mean, all right, minor adults. But mm -hmm. I remember when they were little sure. and I remember the door being opened and a big bag of eggs being handed in for the foster children and mm -hmm. my own children going, we get nothing, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. it can, it's, you know, it's not fair because they are the unsung heroes. Yeah. They are the ones who share their mommy and daddy, Yeah, you know, in everything. And, and mm -hmm. my daughter was my baby, but mm -hmm. she then became one of the middle siblings. Yeah. She had to step over. She was no longer the baby. Yeah. You it know, is. so. It's a big ask, isn't it, Lisa? It and, is, and you, you guys have, obviously, you've got a great system and you've got a great connection with each other. So it's not an issue for you, but it is a huge challenge. And I think we do need to pay more attention to it. I think so. I think, um, and I think even Tusla needs to realise that at the end of the day, I don't think we could foster without our children. Really? Yeah. No, I really don't. I think at the beginning we thought we could. But I think as time went on and I like, as I was saying, 
there was a time where we did have a really hard time of it. And I remember putting my head in my hands and saying, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I've tried. I just can't do it. And I remember my own children saying, no, ma'am, we can't give up. You know, it'll be okay. We'll help. It'll be wow. okay. Yeah. We will help, yeah. you know. Yeah. And they were brilliant. And yeah. they did. And I mean, they were only little. They weren't. They were only teenagers maybe at the time. And teenagers have their own lives. They don't want to be yeah. bothered with what is going on in mommy and daddy's life, you know. Well, they sound like very um, exceptional people, Lisa. So They're very grounded, they're, I have to say. They're great. Well, look, they're not licking that off the ground, are they? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm Dr. Danielle Douglas. You're listening to the Stories from Foster Care podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And Lisa, if in terms of, I suppose, trying to navigate fostering as it's, is, is difficult enough as it is, mm-hmm. okay? And then obviously we've talked about the, the challenges that the girls have and the dynamics of the family. So obviously remembering that foster children have their family outside of fostering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the fostering family what's that been like for you in trying to manage is there access do you have to yeah that? like the my oldest sibling my oldest sorry the oldest foster child her both her parents have passed on but when they were alive there was um accesses she has siblings that she doesn't want to know she right. that's her choice and mm-hmm. maybe in the future she will but mm-hmm. we'll always give her that option um the younger girls, this the two that are sisters, theirs was always very difficult because mommy herself has an intellectual disability. Okay. So her level of understanding was instead of letting us explain to her, she'd get aggressive with us and get angry with us and frustrated. Mm-hmm. And it took me years to understand that. Like at the beginning, I was like, why can't you see we're only trying to help? Why can't you, yeah. you know? And it was only years later, I suppose, as I got older, and I got more into what I was doing and got, I suppose, matured myself in the fostering area. I realized, oh, my God, this poor woman, the reason why she's aggressive towards us, she's angry towards us because I'm doing everything that she wanted to do. Yeah. And she can't do it. And through no fault of her own, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. it can be very difficult. Yeah. It's that that's I think that's really nice that you caught that, Lisa. Yeah. And we're able it took to me see a long that. time now. I'm not I mean, saying that it was I mean, easy at the beginning because I mean, it absolutely wasn't. But I think, you know, when you're a foster family, you're 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 fostering the whole the other family a little bit as much as yeah, you can. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. do. And you get you get this sense of empathy for them. Mm-hmm. And no matter what came before you, mm-hmm. you get this sense of empathy towards them. Yeah. And I mean the mother, I'd have awful trouble, you know, and I still would all these years later with her, but I'd still have that empathic feeling towards her yeah. because when I see my children, my girls, mm-hmm. they're her girls, yeah, and they look like her, and they're yeah. the very same as her, and they actually have her mannerisms, yeah. which is so funny, you know, yeah, no, and no. you just kind of have that empathy. You just don't have any choice. It's and just Lisa, something that happens. Lisa, I'm interested in, sorry, no, uh, couldn't cause you, um, in terms of, okay, we, we talk about children's, the voice of children and children's yeah. rights and we have to preserve mm-hmm. them and, and, and empower children as much as we can. When it comes to children who have disabilities or have, um, you know, challenges, mm-hmm. what's that like and how do you think their voice is heard or is explored? Well, unfortunately, we are their voice. You know, mm-hmm. the 
parent of the child with the disability or the adult or whatever with disability, the care, be it the parent, be it the legal guardian, whatever, we are the voice. Their mm -hmm. voice isn't heard. You know, it's always, they're always the second class citizens. They're always the ones that when something has to be done, they're the ones that are always put down the line. You know, yeah. they don't pay, they're not going to pay taxes. They're not going to go out and put back into the society. Mm -hmm. So they're always the ones that they won't be seen as top priority, unfortunately. And for a parent of children with disabilities and navigating that area now at the moment, because mm -hmm. my 16 year old will be, she was 17 this year. And then my 19 year old, she'd also navigate, she's navigating it at the moment. And yeah. it's really, really difficult. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine, Lisa, what that's like. So you're you're obviously you've had the children's services around you and you've had support of Tusla and all of that for the last number of years. And now you're transitioning into adult services. What what feeling are you getting for that? Or what kind of sense are you it's getting? It's a nightmare, first? to be honest with you, you. Like for the first 18 years of the child's life, Tusla is there. Mm -hmm. They're essentially their legal parents. Mm -hmm. And then they turn 18 and that's it. It's nothing. You're mm -hmm. left to your own devices. You get an aftercare worker, but mm -hmm. you're left to your own devices. And that's really scary. Really, really yeah. scary. Yeah. And if you're in a situation where the, you know, that the placement was okay over the years and the parents are okay to leave that child still in your care. Well, the ad young adult, they're not a child any longer in mm -hmm. the eyes of the law. In our yeah. eyes, they still are. And that's okay. But if you're in situations like I would be, that the mother would want her daughter back, even though she would never be able to care for her. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a legal situation. Okay. So for us, it's huge and it's new and we are only beginning to navigate it now. Okay. Okay. And so you're, I suppose you're fearful. Um, yeah. But I feel, I also feel, Lisa, confident that you'd be well placed to make sure. <laughs> oh, we will. We'll fight. We will fight. To the, we'll fight to the end. Yeah. You know, um, we have, we are essentially her parents as mm -hmm. far as we're concerned. And we are not disregarding her mom in any way. But mm -hmm. we've done all the caring and all the parenting. And for her, that's been the reason why she's got to the way she is and the age she is now. And, and do you think that there could be a, a longer transition for people for, you know, with disabilities in particular? Yeah, yeah. I really feel it should be up to 23. Uh -huh. I really feel that Tusla should really look at their situations and look. I mean, Tusla themselves, if you go to any social worker and say, I've got such a child and she has such a disability, what do I do? They'll say, I don't know. And they'll say, hang on, I ring Lisa. Lisa, our older foster parent, she'll know. Right. Or such a foster parent who's had that experience will know. There's no training for social workers yeah. in this area. Absolutely none. And this is huge at the moment. You know, there are a lot, a lot of children coming in with hidden disabilities. Mm -hmm. And the hidden disabilities are the ones that are causing the biggest breakdowns in placements. I think you're right. I think you're right, Lisa. I know you're right. As in even my own knowledge around disability and, and our own journey as a society around disability is changing and there's so much, there's lots of improvements and there's lots of challenges within mm -hmm. that. And we're really, you know, we really need to do a lot more to Absolutely. disability proof mm -hmm. our services mm -hmm. um, and up, 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 up our knowledge. And in terms of that journey, um, Lisa, that have you witnessed a, a change or an improvement? I mean, I know 
it's difficult to get the voice heard when a child has disabilities, etc. But do you feel that is a genuine move towards including people with disabilities? It just depends. I mean, there was, there was, we were making big strides there a couple of years ago. I found um, around, uh, there was some social workers and it was great and they were really making big strides and then they moved on and we're back to square one again. <laughs> Okay. You know, you have it just depends on who that person is, what the interests are. Mm. And unfortunately for us, we are the silent foster parents, the ones yeah. with the children with disabilities, because as the saying goes, those that shout the loudest get yeah. what they need. And sometimes with someone like me who has three children with different needs, mm -hmm. you can it can be oh, here she goes again. Oh, it's her again. Oh. God, okay. don't answer that phone. You know, so I know, I know. Yeah, it can yeah. be difficult. Yeah, so you're trying. You have to somehow sense yourself a little bit to keep keep yeah. everyone on side. It's education. Mm -hmm. You have to educate yourself. Okay. You have to educate yourself. If you're yeah. going to go into fostering like we have, you need some kind of knowledge in disabilities or educate yourself. While because social workers won't know, they won't yeah. have a clue. Yeah. They're going to hand you this beautiful little baby and you're going to go, oh, lovely. And in three years time, you're going to be hitting your head off the wall going, oh, there's something wrong here and I don't understand what it is. Yeah. And they're not going to know either, you know, and yeah. you could be in a situation like I was and being told, well, it's probably only trauma, you know. And I mean, as I said, I'm not putting down trauma in any way. That's hard enough. But for a disability to be assessed and to actually get a name to that disability that makes a world of difference to that child and yeah. to our placement what might work better in terms of fostering and foster parents is there anything you've experienced or think could work well support to support foster parents or foster children i, I think the first the main thing for foster parents if they are in a similar situation or even just one child that comes in with some kind of difficulties is contact other foster parents okay is attend your meetings your coffee mornings you know get in touch with people get in touch don't just rely on social workers mm -hmm. you know because they've got a whole host of what they have on their books and you're only just another visitation you know you're another person to be ticked off but get in touch with other foster parents. Don't be afraid to ask social workers for other, you know, for other numbers. Don't be afraid to ask IFCA, contact them, mm -hmm. you know, come to us. Yeah. You know, I run the coffee mornings, you know, yeah. so come to us, come and sit down. I guarantee you sitting in that room, there will be one person at least with some kind of knowledge. You know, that's how I got my knowledge. There will, Lisa. And there's great support and there's great power in, in the group, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, during lockdown, I would have been lost without my fostering family, as I right. call them now. Mm -hmm. All my friends, I would have absolutely been lost. And we did a lot of our on Zoom. We did a lot of our contacts, you know, through texting each other and trying to help and support each other. We would have been lost without each other. And yeah. unfortunately, recently, one of our foster carers have passed away and she would have been she's really missed and okay. she would have been a big, big part yeah. of our fostering family, you know. And it is about that sharing knowledge and sharing it local is, knowledge. Absolutely. I think it's really important, yeah. isn't it, Lisa? Yeah. And it's it's trying to share with each other what your experience is. Like not everyone's experience is going to be identical. But mm -hmm. I guarantee you, you will find somebody in there that will say, hang on. Actually, I might not know that, but my sister or somebody knows or I can find that out for you. Or I'll always say 
I'll find that out for you. And yeah. I will, I guarantee I'll find it out for you, yeah. you know, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. And we can all, always be contacted, always. Yeah. Lisa, I am, I'm very aware of, you know, I suppose, what keeps you going? What, I mean, when we all have challenges, we all have difficult days and we all have moments and nobody's life is simple. And you're certainly, you've given us a lovely, very rich picture of your life. What keeps you going or what has kept you going in those times? And I know you talked about your children earlier on and the foster network that you have, but just yeah. yourself, what is it that keeps you going? I think it's my passion. It's my passion mm -hmm. for fostering. It's, it's my passion for fostering and it's my passion around disabilities. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. I think if I hadn't had the passion I have around the fostering around disabilities, I don't think I'd still be here. I don't think you can you can ever just say, I'm going to do this for the sake of it or for yeah. the money or for something like that. Yeah. You can't, because let me tell you, that will fail very, very fast I think that's when you really get into it, yeah. you know. And for me, it's just my passion. It's it what it's what keeps me going. It's what I I can it's it lets out all my anxieties when okay. I can sit and talk about something. And my husband is great. Myself and my husband will sit down. And we will talk about things for hours and hours. We had to actually put down a rule that when we went for a meal, we didn't talk about it anymore okay. because it became our life mm -hmm. completely. So now what I do is I go on holidays with my friends. I relax. I like to read. I like to, you know, things like that, that you just get away from it. You have to get away from it for a little while. And I think that's really important, isn't it? And, uh, and being able to have that separate time yeah. self-care and we talk about self-care in a very kind of wishy-washy way but self-care is so important self-care is uh i can't stress it enough how how important self-care is because every one of us as foster parents will tell you we nearly hit burnout around yeah. lockdown right we all nearly did and so many placements broke down around lockdown and it's just it's become you know in the world of fostering now it's become really prevalent that you have to have self-care yeah. and you're seeing more groups, you know, that are suggesting maybe we have a day where we can have manicures or mm. we can just sit down and do a book club or we can mm. just chat or have a coffee and just, you know, just totally rejuvenate yourself yeah. because you have to. And Lisa, would you get respite? Would respite be something that you're, you can avail of? that's that's the dirty word that oh, really? word is Talk in fostering world <laughs> <laughs> um i never got it from tusla okay. we never got respite but we do from disabilities and so disability tell me how sector. that works so the disability right so disabilities um because the girls have intellectual disabilities they are entitled to respite so okay. um from they're about six seven years of age uh, both my girls go now together, which is great. Um, so I would have maybe one weekend every two, three months. Okay. And maybe I'd have one afternoon after school uh, a month. It's okay. not a lot. We don't get a lot. But when we do get it, we really appreciate it, you know. Okay. So vital, yeah. I'd say. Vital, vital. Vital. We don't get it from two slip because basically... In order to have um, respite in my situation, it would be training somebody up to look yes. after our middle girl, which is not worth it. If I was to do anything, my own children are trained for that. 
Okay. So they would step in and say, right, mom and dad, you go away for the weekend. We're going to move in. So yeah. you'd have my daughter moving in, her partner moving in, my son moving in, his partner moving in, yeah. and they all do it together to mind the three of them. Amazing. You know, so they all move in back into the house. And uh, that's the way we have our breaks. Yes. It's the only respite week, unless they are going to disabilities. And Lisa, you said the dirty word of respite. Mm. <laughs> Tell me, talk, talk to me a little bit more about that, because it sounds to me, as somebody who doesn't foster, that it would be something that I might, I might need from time to time. Well, everybody needs it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what child you're fostering. Every foster parent, every fostering family needs respite. You're taking on children who are coming into your home and they're essentially turning your world upside down. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how good they are or what, they're still going to turn your world upside down. The dynamics in your home has changed. Yeah. You know, your own children are taking a step back. Mm-hmm. Even if you haven't got children, you as a couple yes. are taking a step back. You know, you're used to just having each other. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're caring for someone else. You're taking in consideration about everybody else except yourself. So you need that respite. You need that downtime yeah. to focus on each other, you know, and to focus on your family. Unfortunately, Tusla doesn't have the foster parents okay. to give respite. That's what we're told. Mm-hmm. Um, there should be, I think there's more they could do to look into it. We have suggestions and we've given mm-hmm. them suggestions. And I think okay. there's more they could do to look into um, giving people what they essentially need. Well, Lisa, That's tell important. me, what, what, what kind of creative approaches could we take or what might we look at? Well, we feel there should be like um, a hub of foster carers. Like mm-hmm. we'll always, you'll always hear us when we're in a group saying, we'll help, we'll do it for you, we'll do it. But when we go back to the social workers, we'll be told, oh, you can't do that. You can't be just suggesting that you're going to mind that child or you're going to do this. Now, they will tell you 72 hours is at your own discretion mm-hmm. once you feel that's a safe environment for the right. child. But that's still, you have to inform them and 99.9% will come back and say, mm, maybe not. Maybe that's okay. not the right place to send them. Okay. It mightn't be for any particular reason. It could be just that they don't feel that it is at that particular time. But we feel that if there was a group of foster parents that have come together, that have the spare room, that have the time on their hands and would say, look, yeah, I'll take such a child, you know, or I'll help out with such a child at such a weekend. Mm-hmm. And it has happened, you know, in the 72 hours. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, you know, it, if they made it more legal mm-hmm. and they made it more, you know, this is how we're going to do it. It would work. Definitely would work. Well, look, I mean, I know you know the system much better than I do, but it sounds to me like that's that's a pretty important thing that people get a break and are able to, it'll sustain the placement over time, I would imagine. And foster carers are always eager to help each other. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows you like a foster care knows you. You know, like we just have to walk into a room and maybe I'd be bubbly and maybe someday I'd walk in and I'd just go over and I'd go straight to the coffee machine. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you within a couple of minutes, somebody will say, are you okay? Is there something going on? You Mm -hmm. know, and it's just, we all know each other. And especially when we know you need a break, that's when foster carers are each other's lifeline. When, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lisa, you have a particularly busy um, household and <laughs> I'm glad to hear you're getting some kind of a break and that you have those those supports that you can absolutely. you can rely on mm. they're essential absolutely essential 
Lisa, if you were to talk to somebody who was starting out as a foster carer, and I know you started many years ago now? 17. 17 years ago. Or if you could talk to yourself even maybe 17 years ago and you could envision yourself, what would you be saying or what could you say to them? What would you, how could we ease this and smooth this path for people? The first thing I'd have to say is knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. And that's so, so important. You know, if you want to do a particular area like we did, don't jump in and say, oh, yeah, I want to do that. That's lovely. We get a little child now and it'll have Down syndrome or mm-hmm. I'm just using that as an as an example, mm-hmm. you know, and or we'll have a child, you know, oh, I don't want children with autism. They're too difficult. Yeah. Or I don't want child. You know, knowledge is power. And at the end of the day, you know, every child is different. I have a child with autism. She's high functioning autism. Mm-hmm. So she can speak, she can dance, she can do everything that maybe a child who has, who's not as high a functioning uh, that mm-hmm. can't do, yeah. you know? So everything is different. Knowledge is power. If you're offered a placement, you know, don't say yes straight away. Okay. Sit down, talk about it. Ask social workers for information. Mm-hmm ask them we didn't we were like yeah, yeah okay no problem yeah we take them yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah come on as my husband said you know um we'd be busting them in it was ridiculous with me because it was like yes 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 you know but you have to sit down and you have to discuss it between yourselves you have to ask for loads of information and don't mm-hmm. be afraid to go back to social workers and say you know eh, we're still not too sure can you give me some more information on that okay yeah you know and don't be afraid to say no You know, don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to say no. It has to suit your environment. It has to suit your lifestyle. And it definitely has to suit the child's. No point in taking the child into your home if you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be the proper, the right foster carers for them because you just jumped into it and you hadn't got a clue what was going on, you know, and now they're too difficult for you to manage. Yeah, yeah. But what I also picked up what you were saying there, Lisa, was that also being open to the to potential of maybe having a placement that you wouldn't think would maybe match you, but it might turn out to oh, be. Absolutely. And, you know, never be afraid to try new things. Mm-hmm. You know, always, as I said, I know when I started out, my background in disabilities was more towards my middle child mm-hmm. where she has, you know, the physical disabilities and she has a medical side. So that was all my background. My background wasn't towards fetal alcohol or towards, you know, um, children with autism. So I probably would have been one of those parents who would have said to you, oh, don't give me a child with autism. I am not. No, no, no. I don't know anything about it. Oh, God, I wouldn't be able. But it's, you know, it's learning about it. And don't be afraid to step into somebody else's shoes for a little while. Even ask somebody who has a child. Yeah. You know, in those areas that you're unsure of yeah. and say, look, do you think we would be the right kind of family? Or, or if we were to take on a child in that area, how do you think it would work for us? You know, or is there any t- pointers you can give us, yeah. you know, before you make, but don't make the decision straight away. Yeah, Definitely yeah. take time because social workers can put a guilt trip on you and say, oh, we have to get this child into a home now. We have to do this. And that's OK if that's yeah. emergency care. Yeah. And that's fine. That has to be done. We see those cases all the time. But if you're going to go for more of a longer term, are you going to go for, mm-hmm. say, like we did with disabilities? It needs to be taught about. It really needs to be, you know, yeah. and you need to be educated in on the situations. Yeah. 
And Lisa, I know I get the sense that the future is as the girls will continue to stay with you Absolutely. and they will live their lives with you and yep. they're your family and there's no question about that. I don't get what's next for you, though, in terms of your if, if the girls are, you know, if they somehow they move on or they, they're, they're with you, whatever their circumstances are. Will I you stay continue. Connected? I'll continue to foster children with disabilities. Yeah. I'm not finished. I'm just up to turn a 50. So I feel I've oh, a good only. 10 years left in me. <laughs> <laughs> the foster world. No, I continue with the disabilities. And even if I can't continue to do a full time, I would like to be kind of help in some way, say maybe other foster carers who need respite mm -hmm. with children with disabilities. As we get older, myself and my husband, you know, we said that we'd like to maybe do respite for other foster carers who have children like we have at the moment. Yeah. And to be there, you know, to be that person that you can say, well, we send them on to Lisa and Tommy at the weekend, sure. maybe, sure. you know, next weekend, or it's been a hard week, maybe Lisa and Tommy will take them or, yeah. you know, something like that. So that's what we would like to be a support. Yeah. Well, Lisa, you're an incredible resource to yeah. all of us that you know and, and foster carers like you they're a huge resource for a knowledge base and uh, yeah mm -hmm. i think we need to tap into that absolutely yeah i think that's a really something a gap i think that we mm -hmm. in our conversation i think that i may feel that we've identified anyway mm -hmm. lisa in terms of last words or words of wisdom or words of comfort i'll invite you to maybe speak to that a little bit okay um I suppose for any foster carer who's out there at the moment and feeling, oh, this is hard. You're not alone. You really aren't. There might we might be a minority, and there mightn't be a big amount of foster carers all over the place, but we're huge when it comes to supporting each other. Mm -hmm. Please don't be afraid to get in touch. Don't be afraid to get in touch with Ifka. They'll always always send you on mm -hmm. to one of us in your area. Don't be afraid to talk about things. Don't think that because you're talking about things, we're going to judge. Nobody judges, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the one thing that we've always had to say. And we always say when we're in our meetings, you know, what happens in this room stays in this room yeah. and nobody will be judged. And look at if it's not for you, don't be afraid to step away or have yes. a break. Yeah. You know, step away for a little while. Sometimes when you step away, you know, you can see the wood for the trees. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like... You can't see things when you're you're bogged down and your your head is fuzzled and everybody's coming at you from left, right, and center, and you're just oh, I can't do this. Yeah. But when you step away and you sit down and you actually have a little bit of time, then it makes all the difference. And yeah. as I said, you know, gain take take from your supports. Yeah. Support is huge. And yeah. don't ever, ever be alone in and feel you don't have the support because you do. We're all in it together and we all have bad days. Yeah, uh, that's it, Lisa. We all have bad days. I think you're, yeah, it's just when those bad days become more frequent than yeah. the good days. And that's what we have to watch out and for. And then you it? have to step away for yeah. a little while and have a little break. Yeah, yeah. Lisa, I, I've i learned so much, really and truly. I mean that by talking to you this morning. I mean, I, I, I just I feel a little bit humbled by the fact that I don't. I'm not. <laughs> Number one, I'm not as active in supporting people as you are and also my knowledge base around what needs to be done. So we have a, what I'm struck by is there's a lot been done, but there's a lot yet to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we take that away from this morning. Um, but Lisa, look, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. It was okay. so nice to speak with you. And as I said, I hope the listeners have 
been able to um, gain something from your 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 insights and your generosity of sharing about your family and your 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 experiences so yeah so thank you and thanks to your family because you, i think we, we talked to them about them and they they yeah. need a, a thank you as well and all of this thank you thanks so much Lisa. andrew it was lovely thank to you. speak to you thank you, you. bye bye it was a great pleasure talking to Lisa Clancy. She is an inspirational foster carer. That's it for this episode. See you next time on Stories from Foster Care. And remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.